the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last week, we started a new sermon series that we're calling Water and Wine, and we're focusing on the gifts that God gives us in baptism and the Lord's Supper. And rightly so, Pastor Jared began us last week by talking about the place we need to start in, the most basic, fundamental thing about how our relationship with God works. The most important thing, the starting place, he reminded us that in baptism, God has brought each of you from death to life, from death to life. God does 100% of the work to save us. Like a person in cardiac arrest who needs someone else to keep their heart beating, that's how it works with God. He does all the work out of love and grace and mercy to bring us from death into life. And that's important. Because if we had to contribute even the smallest portion, the smallest fraction or decimal to our salvation, we couldn't do it because of our sin. We were reminded, though, rightly, that God is loving and gracious towards us. That just as he blessed the little children and said the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, maturity in our faith doesn't look like gaining more independence, but learning to rely on God more and more as we go along. Today we're taking our conversation on baptism to the next level because all of that is right and good and important, but you might be left asking the question, what now? If God has taken care of my eternal life and brought me into his family, brought me from death to life, what am I supposed to do now? What am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? The words of Titus chapter 3 that you heard just a minute ago are such a beautiful answer to that question because they remind us not only about the transformation that has happened in our identity as God's people in baptism, but also how our perspective, the lens that we view life through, how that has changed. Listen to the words that Paul is writing to Titus, a student and a pastor that he's teaching. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. All of that well defines and summarizes last week, but listen now to what he goes on to say. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Paul is saying that in holy baptism, God has made us holy and right and acceptable in his eyes so that we might become his heirs. We might become his children. That's what it was all for, to save us from ourselves. Put it simply, before God brought us from death to life in baptism, you and I were only focused on me, myself, and I. As we looked at our relationships with God and with other people, 
We were turned in on ourselves. All we thought about was, what can I get from other people? What do people have to give to me? We were only focused on what we needed and wanted. But now, now that God has given us new life and given us a new identity as his children, things are totally different. If you'll allow me one sports analogy, or think about it in the terms of the military, if you'd rather. If you and I are wearing uniforms, jerseys, in baptism, God has changed the name on the back of your uniform from your earthly family name, or the name on the front of your uniform from your family name to his name. God has brought you into his family and put his name on you and you bear his name and you represent him to the world every day as his child. Paul puts it elsewhere in scripture. You are not your own for you were bought with a price. Each of you has had a change in your identity because God has made each of you his child. He's brought you into his family. You are now, currently, presently, in this moment, an heir of eternal life. What's God is yours. Because what God has won through the death and resurrection of Jesus, he promises you, is yours. Because you're his kid, and he loves you. What's his is yours now. You have an inheritance beyond anything you could earn or imagine. But that's not all. Because having had your identity changed, you now have a change in your perspective too. Because you not only, you no longer focus on yourself, your wants and your needs... But as you start to look outside of yourself, you realize that you are not an only child in the family of God. Whether you're an only child in your earthly family or you are one of 10 or 12 or 15, I got news for you. Physically, turn your head around, look to your left. Yep, it's that way, I think. And that way to the right and behind you and in front of you, you have siblings in the family of God. You have spirit-given siblings. You've got brothers and sisters in this family. But we still haven't answered the question yet. What do we do now? New identity brought into God's family. We have spirit-given siblings, but what now? What's life in this family, in God's family, supposed to look like? Our reading from Galatians chapter 6 begins to answer that question for us. Paul, again, writes the words, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. And that is really, truly important. Because each of us, no matter who we are, has experienced relational challenges and difficulties. Each of us, in our own way, has faced what it looks like to live in relationships that are broken by sin. Because each of us are sinful people. Some siblings in this family of God never had an earthly dad 
one that cared to stick around or be involved. And if they did, were victims of abuse or neglect. Some people's lives have been impacted by the divorce they've experienced. Having to decide who among the two gets to keep the friends, the house, the kids, and who has to start all over with nothing. Lives torn apart. Kids affected by divorce. There are widows and widowers who, though they have had a lifelong loving relationship with a spouse, now face loneliness and grief every single day. There are moms who bring their kids to church faithfully every weekend, longing for a husband who shares their commitment to the faith. There are homebound siblings who can't get out of the house anymore, who battle the brokenness of their bodies, who battle feelings of being left behind by those who they once saw so frequently. There are anxious and depressed brothers and sisters who battle feelings of worthlessness, who've been told they just need to believe their way to happiness and wholeness. There are those who've never been married, who long for companionship of marriage and family life. There are those who feel the crushing weight of caring both for aging parents and their own children at the same time. The list goes on and on and on. All of us, in our own way, have faced the challenge and the difficulty of relationships broken and impacted by sin. I don't know how it looks in your family, whether you look at your siblings and say, yeah, you know, we're pretty similar in our family. Or maybe some of you look at your siblings and say, I don't know how our two parents could have possibly produced you and me because of how different we are, if you have siblings. But God's family is very much the same. (laughs) It's similar. God brings together people who on the surface might be totally different from one another, look differently, live differently, care about different things. But in the deepest place, at our core, we know that we share an identity. We share something that is deeper than the surface level stuff that our eyes see. And that's what unites us together. To each of these people, to each of you, God challenges you as his children in your relationship with your spirit-given siblings to bear one another's burdens. God has brought each of us together into this family to receive from one another the love and the support that he intends us to have. Let me put it a different way. Being brought into the family of God, being woven into this tapestry of God's people is God's answer to the brokenness of the relationships that we experience. You are God's answer to the brokenness in the world. God has given you spirit-given siblings to both give and receive his love and his care. So in this family, we don't ask the question, 
what's in it for me? What can I get from others? What do others have to give to me? We don't ask in this family, who here is most like me? So we can find a comfortable corner to only be with people that think like us, do the same sorts of things, are even in the same phase of life. No. We look around and we can see deeper than the surface. We see more than skin deep. We see the identity that we share together as God's children. And we go towards one another. Just imagine the beautiful witness to the world that it would look like if as spirit-given siblings, those same people, challenged by the brokenness of earthly relationships, lived into this idea of being spirit-given siblings. Just imagine, as that widow or widower walks through the doors of the church, the children of that mom who's here by herself yet again, they run up to that person and give them a hug and smile because they are so excited to see them because they are as much a grandmother or a grandfather as their own flesh and blood. What if That widow, that widower, sits next to that single mom, and instead of just giving a smile or a nod or complaining to their friends after church, to that mom who feels like her kids have megaphones instead of mouths, who just can't quite be quiet in the service, what if she put a loving hand on that mother's shoulder and said, I've been there, I get it, I know the spotlight feels hot right now, but it's okay, let me help. What if, instead of making the couple experiencing a horrific divorce, what if instead of making them choose who gets to stay in the church family, we go to both of them and we say, you both are spirit-given siblings. You don't have to choose who gets to stay here because you both are children of God and we both want you here. What if... The person who's never been married is invited over to lunch with the family because we know that their identity is not made up of their relationship status, but as a spirit-given sibling and a child of God, and they are as much aunt or uncle to those kids as anyone else. What if to the anxious and depressed person we say, We don't even have to talk. I'll just sit here with you for a while. God has woven us together in his family in baptism. He has called you out of darkness, out of the darkness of focusing only on yourself, and he's woven us into the tapestry of his family. You are a spirit-given sibling, and you have spirit-given siblings. And in this family, no matter how different we may appear, we may seem to one another, no matter what phase of life we're in, we see beyond the skin-deep surface level, and we bear one another's burdens. We go toward each other with love, support. Brothers and sisters in Christ, 
a phrase I use so often in preaching, not just because it's true, but now maybe we have a better understanding of the reality and truth of that. Here's the challenge. It's time to pick our heads up. It's time to turn our eyes and our focus away from the person we see in the mirror and to look around again at the beautiful tapestry that God has woven each of us into. One body, one family, so many spirit-given siblings. Because this family is God's answer to the brokenness that we experience in life. It's time for us to actively work to maintain these relationships we have among us. We are not individuals. We're members of the same family. We're siblings. As we do that, we not only bear one another's burdens, but we bear his name to the world. Because the love that he intends for us to have and to give to one another, it's the same love that scripture says they will know that we are Christians by. And that's how we bear his name to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.